Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Monday, June 27th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 22. This is probably one of the most memorable parts of Genesis outside of creation and the fall for me. I remember in college hearing this story and saying, what are you talking about? This story is terrible. I mean, this story does not at all uplift the kind of God that I perceived him to be, which, by the way, was not necessarily what, what scripture has to say, but it really brings you to your knees, tries to make you understand that right before this is the birth of a baby, the baby that from him would be the many generations. And now, what are you asking Abraham to do? Trying to pull this all together requires us to put on our Christ goggles. So once again, open up those Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Pastor Eddy, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. And also with you, happy Pentecost to you too. Thank you. Uh, glad to be back. It's it's great to have you back. Give us give us a little bit of what's going on at Messiah and uh, for you and your family. Well, this is uh, my sixth year being here at Messiah Lutheran Church. This is my second call. I'm a second career pastor, and I am ministering at the church that was closest to the church where I grew up. Uh, St. John's here in Beloit is where I grew up. Uh, Messiah is about two miles away. Um, I knew of people here, and people knew of me, but I didn't really know very many people here before accepting the call in 2016, and it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful congregation. And so uh, very loving internally and outwardly um, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, today our food pantry will be open. We're coming up on one year since we started uh, one of only two food pantries on the west side of Beloit. Our east side's got like four or five of them. And so we've been able to serve an average of about 35 families every time that we're open. That equates to over 100 people that we feed each time our food pantry is open. We have a net total of about 150 clients that we serve. And we are looking for the congregation to prayerfully consider the food pantry expanding to perishable food items. And so at our congregational meeting on Sunday, uh, they're going to be introduced to that idea. Uh, we're also uh, expanding uh, our care for our members, considering uh, adding a parish nurse program. That'll be another thing that the congregation will be looking at uh, on Sunday. Uh, tomorrow night, we have a free family fun night here where we are meeting our neighbors as well as our own members in a free fellowship event, no fundraiser. That's open to members, non-members, food, games, and a movie, and just an opportunity uh, to connect with people. And, and we're giving away a $50 gas and grocery card to a local grocery store, Woodman. So uh, so we have a lot of things going on. We're sending three people to our national youth gathering. We have a summer Sunday school program, the I Spy program, solving these great mysteries in Scripture to help children with their faith in Christ. This is great. Thank you for uh, the, the showing the ways that God has given you opportunities. And Side question, are you going to the youth gathering? 
No, I am not. Oh, dang it. I you was going to say, we could have. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. No, I'm too old for it'd that. Be, it'd okay. be great You're to... like, who's that old guy? <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing here? It's a youth no, gathering. <laughs> right. No, no, we have a dynamic youth leader, and she's taking two of, of our youth people. It was open. There was a third youth that was considering, but, you know, we have to pray for our youth because these national youth gatherings are a lot more money than oh, they used my. to be. And Absolutely. so we praise the Lord for generous uh, donations to help uh, with that. They did a, a youth uh, car wash and broad stand uh, a week ago Monday that helped put them over the top for uh, taking care of uh, expenses related to that. And of course, with transportation costs going up and other things with inflation, you know, they got hit with some last minute increases. Well, you know, and that's a good reminder for you, our listeners, to pray for our youth gathering that will be happening in Houston this summer. There's other youth programs that happen throughout the summer as well. And we pray that our, our youth and young people, young adults even, as we look at different programs, to be nurtured and to be strengthened in Christ. As you said so well, let's pray for our youth. On that note, Pastor, as we talk about prayer, can you begin our time as we look at Genesis 22 and begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, through your Son, your your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By the power of the Holy Spirit, empower our study of your word this morning through careful reading, listening, and learning so we can inwardly digest your word for strength and faith, increased understanding, careful discernment, and application for living our faith so that we may walk by faith and not by sight, in order that others may see and hear our good works, but give glory to you. In the name of Jesus, our risen and ascended Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions concerning Genesis 22, great chapter for us to dig into today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. kfuo at kfuo.org. We begin by here in Genesis 22. I will be reading the whole chapter, reading from the English Standard Version. And and really, I encourage all of our listeners, maybe you've heard the whole story before, uh, this true story in history. But to sit back and to be able to hear it once again, because every time I read this chapter, uh, it doesn't, by the way, it doesn't end with them saying the Lord will provide. There's more to the chapter. And so, uh, uh, so we will be looking at this and want to make sure that we hear it all because it is all the inspired word of God. So we hear all of it, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Yahweh Will Provide. As it was said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates, gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall be all the name, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now they, and after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz of the firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kassid, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Maka. This is the word of our Lord this morning. Pastor, everything thanks happens. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for that. And this, there's a lot here. And, and it thanks is so be to great. God you had to read those names and not me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not giving thanks for that. But anyways, my list, our listeners might not be either. So, so, Pastor, how do you want to start us off? Great text. I'm so excited to dig in. All right, so whenever I conduct a Bible study, it doesn't matter if it's confirmation class, adults, I say, when you open up to the text, what's the first question you should ask? And they all kind of look like, you know, like a dog caught in headlights. And I said, what's the context? Because if we don't understand the context in which this passage happens, both beforehand and then what is the result of this afterwards, then, then we look at Scripture in a vacuum. And we, and we tend not to interpret it in its own context, but apply it only to ours, and then we end up with really strange teachings. If we understand passage in its own context and apply it to ours, we're going we're gonna to grow a lot in our faith. So other context that you want to highlight as we begin? Well, first of all, Abraham is related back to Noah through his son Shem. I think that's very important. Shem was the son... Uh, that was blessed by Abraham, and this is the line, okay, that, uh, that that's there. So we're, we're looking at, you know, a little over 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. He's in the land of Ur of Chaldeans. That's where his background is. His name means exalted father. Uh, when it switched to Abraham, uh, the result of uh, uh, the father of many people. And so uh, 
it, he lived a life where God chose him, called him, and said, I'm going to make a great nation through you. Now, this is after, you know, things fell apart at the Tower of Babel, and um, this isn't that far from the Tower of Babel, of the land of Ur, and it was a pagan area. He was a nomad, and God said, okay, you're going to follow me, I'm going to lead you. And Abraham's life is one of, of growing and trusting the Lord more often, and learning from his mistakes by receiving God's mercy in order for him to then be stronger in the faith. And so long before we get to Genesis 22, we have um, uh, the promise that was made for him, which took 25 years to fulfill. Mm. You know, he, he was uh, 75 years old. God says, I'm going to make a great nation through you. And, you know, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And, hey, maybe I'm supposed to have a child through one of your servants, Sarai. And she's like, yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And it worked until it didn't work. And, well, it didn't really work at all. So Ishmael, that wasn't it. So Abraham had to learn from his mistake. Even before that, he lied to protect his own hide while sacrificing almost his own wife to the Egyptian pharaoh. So Abraham's learning here. He's learning how to trust the Lord. Um you know, even the great exchange that he has with the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh, when negotiating to save uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so it, you could just see him that he's ready for a test like this. God just didn't plop this huge test out of the sky. God uh, developed him for the test that we that you just so brilliantly read from Scripture. Mm. And that's something that's very important. Genesis chapter 20 we have Pastor Stuart Crown on from California. Just, just made so many great um, connections with Abraham and Abimelech. And you mentioned before with the Pharaoh that here is Abraham. And when we follow Abraham's life, he's continually growing in faith. And that's important for us, as you said so beautifully, too. And Pastor Crown really emphasized this understanding of carrying Abraham through and Sarai through, Sarah through, all of these moments where the laughter that they had about having a child ended up being the laughter and joy of having a child. And then you get to this text and you're like, what are you talking about? Because you, you've done this too, Pastor. You visited someone that they've had a child and the joy that is there. At the same time, you know, we visited people who have lost a child and the, 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 the angst that is there. So you feel that almost like this roller coaster, 21 and 22, what is going on? And that requires, like you said, the growing in faith and the Lord to provide for his people, which he obviously does. So, Pastor, I'm ready to start digging in. Do you have any other, first, any other thoughts before we dig in? Nope. All right. So let's read a few of these verses. Um, uh, Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to, Abraham, said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Right away, Pastor, it, it, it brings us from joy. You know, you talk about how, you know, Terry may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Here's the opposite. We have joy is there, and now the Terry is coming. So, Pastor, break this down for us, because this is quite shocking to begin. Well, I think one of the things that is important to bring up is that God does not tempt us. Mm -hmm. He tests us. And the difference is, I mean, you can look at James chapter 1, 2 through 4. 
count it all joy, my brothers. Interesting you used the, uh, that uh, adjective before. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and that steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, because your total trust is in the Lord. And blessed is the man, further on in the James chapter 1, who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So I think Abraham realized that God wanted him to pass this test. He wasn't tempting him to do evil. Okay, that's what Satan does. Satan wants us to fail. That's the difference between tempting and testing. So I think right off the bat, uh, Abraham's like, okay, I am being tested here. I've been tested before. Did I learn from my past mistakes? And it it is interesting, that language, and that's important. God tested Abraham. We know this in a small catechism as well. It says God tempts no one, but he does test us. And so he says something that would test any of us, a loved one, to say, okay, this loved one, let alone only son, he even emphasizes here, whom you love. So it is, I mean... This is not like that child that no one wants, which I don't know how that works. But, but you know, this is not a child that nobody wanted to be around. Da da da. It's just the one you love, your only son. By the way, go and sacrifice him. I just want to reflect on that a little bit with the emotions behind this this story and how we how do we look at this faithfully and understanding the emotions and everything that would be happening. Pastor, what are your thoughts? Those first three verses and the emotions in the room. I think that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, humility is a very emotional thing. Mm. In that humility, God lifts us up. When people get stubborn and prideful, they're not allowing the Lord to lift them up in their most vulnerable points because pride is saying, I know better. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. What we are, it's not a disclaimer to our prayers. You know, like when you enter a contest, boy, we're prohibited, some restrictions apply. No, it's not that at all. What we're saying, thy will be done, is this is the way I see it. This is what I want. However, I humbly bow to your will because you may, you not you may, you do have a better way if you don't like my way and do not want to grant my prayer request. And I think that here, Abraham, I don't think he quite knew how it was going to turn out. Uh, although indications are that he did rationalize that if his poor son Isaac was taken, that he would be raised from the dead. But, you know, that's easy for us to read that passage and say, oh, well, this was a piece of cake for Abraham. You know, it's one thing to think, well, that may be how it turns out. It's another thing to accept how it actually turns out. And so I think he's just totally humbled at this point in approaching this whole event. And he definitely, he says these similar words that we hear throughout the Old Testament where he's like, Abraham, and he says, here am I. So there's Oh, you caught that too. Yeah. I caught the same thing. Yeah, tell, yeah. tell us more. What are your thoughts? Well, it, it's a submission. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the fiery angels flying back and forth, and he's scared out of his wits because he knows he's in the special presence of Lord through this uh, theophany-type vision that, that he has, and, you know, he, and he sees that, that angel pick up a coal and head right, you know, make a beeline right for him, 
he was humbled by all of that because you know, going into there, he knew that his nation was heading south after the king who had served for many years uh, was done. And, and he could see the writing on the wall. Uh, I'm mixing my metaphors here from Daniel, <laughs> but you, you get the idea that his country was not heading in a good direction. And, and fear had gripped him. And the Lord said, I'm going to take your fear and I'm going to humble you. And then I'm going to show you that I am with you. And what was his response to all of that? When he knew that his sins were forgiven, did he say, okay, well, that's done. I can go on with my life without any changes? Right, no. Right. He said, here am I, send me. Mm. And and so uh, that is total submission to the Lord after being totally humbled. And that's what we pray for that gift, right, of humility. We pray for the Holy Spirit to give, those, give us those kind of words, here am I, send me. Because, well, my heart and my old Adam doesn't necessarily want to do that. So it's like when we have a confirmation, right? Or when we do like an ordination or an installation or have a commission worker installed, that, that the emphasis of what we ask them usually ends with, I will with the help of God. And that is something that is that you pray for those words. And here am I does not mean that he was fully like, this is great. You know, this is just wonderful, but it does show a confidence in the Lord as opposed to his own strength. And so that's that's where we see the faith of Abraham, which we hear about all the time in Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 11, that the faith was not focused on himself or his own strength, but totally on the Lord and his promises. Pastor, anything else before we move on? Well, and also, too, that's an excellent verse, too. Um, are you referring to um, your he- Hebrews chapter eleven, right? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Where uh, where it talks about commending Abraham's faith for what what he did, and, and that's just it. Faith is not something we own. Faith is something that is given uh, to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the way I explain it to the confirmands is, I say, and to adults as well. You know, when you are baptized, faith is the muscle. Okay. I said, did, did you make a decision for the muscles on your body? No, you were born with them. You were reborn in the waters of baptism with this muscle called faith. It is given to you. And then God's word is there to feed it so that we can practice or exercise it. And, you know, the, the flesh is the righteousness that, that God gives us. Righteousness is not something we do. Righteousness is something we practice because righteousness is given to us. And I think when you think in those terms, you're more likely to to exhibit your faith in trust. There is a difference between faith and trust. Faith is what you're given. Trust is what you do with the faith that you are given. And so Abraham is doing this here because God has given him uh, through the circumcision that he says, you're mine, um, and I have given you the ability to, to trust me. Let's continue to move forward. Verses three. Uh, verse three is where we're, we left off. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to these young men, "Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship." And come again to you. I'm going to stop there, Pastor, because this is probably when I mentioned in college hearing this that I was quite appalled. But then I also was amazed because in verse 5, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
So here is this, this sacrifice of your one and only son, whom you love, and he says, worship, which is just mind-boggling for him to even be able to say those words. Other thoughts you have on three through five? We have about a minute and a half before our break. Cynical side says he was just saying that to appease or to hide what was about to happen. But then that makes Abraham out to be a liar, okay? I think Abraham, again, I think he knew at this point something was going to happen where this was going to turn out well, that he didn't go through all of this to have this end disastrously, okay? Now, by the way, if you believe that uh, 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 that Isaac was younger, then sacrificing children was uh, not uncommon in the ancient world. Um, this doesn't work if you believe that Isaac is a little older. So this was a common thing. And I think Abraham's like, well, this is what everybody else does. How is God going to make this different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, I've heard so many different theories on that too. Was he young? Was he older? Um, and I, I can't really make heads or tails out of it, to be honest. However, it is something important that whether he's young or old, it, 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 the emotions are still there. I mean, it's still a very prominent thing. And as you said, this is going to be different, but yet, boy, there might be a lot of shaking in my boots at that point. So, Pastor, we need to take our break right now. We are studying Genesis chapter 22 with Pastor Dan Eddy, and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 22 with Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin. Pastor, we've ended in verse 5, and and this really does lay the groundwork for many things as we look at the rest of this text, especially through Christ's goggles. Anything else you have in our first five verses? No, I think that we're covering it here quite well. Um, uh, again, I'm, I think that Abraham knew this was going to end up well, even if every indication at the moment said it wasn't. And, and you know, there's application for us because a lot of times, and in, in if we think back on our test of faith that we've had in, in our life, when we thought we were going to be financially ruined and God provided an opportunity for better employment or income that we weren't expecting, um, you know, in situations where we've had to confront a loved one over something bad that's going on in their life, and we wondered if it was going to turn out bad, but the Lord provided, and it helped to reconcile maybe a, a tough situation. I mean, we're asked to believe some, some pretty strange things from the world standpoint when we're in worship. We're, we're expected to trust in the Lord's power to turn bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood. Uh, you know, not flesh or human blood, but, you know, what is that? But, you know, we're asked to believe that. 
we're asked to believe that God forgives all of our sins without one effort on our part and that we cannot make up for what we've done wrong. We're asked to trust God that our work, good works do not count for our salvation, but our reflection of our faith. And this all is counterintuitive uh, to what the, the world teaches. Um, and so uh, we can learn from Abraham that even if everything around you appears to be one way, we know that with God it will turn out his way and his will, and that will be in our best interest. You know, Romans eight twenty eight. Mm-hmm. in all things, good and bad, God works for the good for those who love him. You know, we love him because he first loved us, for all who have been called according to his purpose. Bad things even work toward our good. If we believe that, then this is a testimony of that. And that brings us back to what we mentioned from Genesis 20, the understanding of God is going to carry us through. Romans 8.28 is a very important text for us to always keep on our lips and our hearts and our ears as we go through trial, um, which we will, and and the Lord will continue to provide. So let's continue, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them went together. So now, now you, now you have that just kind of heart wrenching moment, where the son is like, "Hmm, he's putting two and two together. Okay, we got everything we need, but no lamb. What's going to happen?" Truly, he trusts his father, and hear that same language, uh, "Father," he said, "Here am I, my son." So this is that vocational understanding of of you know relationship to the Lord, relationship to his family. Here am I. Here we go. I don't understand it, but here we go. And Pastor, how would you break this down? Because it's pretty obvious what's about to happen here. Verses 6 six or 8. Yeah, this is the uh, moment, the climactic moment in the text where uh, we are tempted by Satan, even when we're in the midst of trusting God in unbelievable situations. Satan is always going to try to ping us like somebody hacking into our computer account to try to convince us otherwise. And so the closer you're getting, the closer you're getting, the more it's like, well, maybe this isn't going to turn out the way I thought. That's that temptation that's there. And and yet God is on the other side saying, no, this will turn out better than you think. And so you're, you're coming to that moment where, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm driving down the road. The car is going to go off the cliff and I'm going to be saved yeah, here. Or yeah. more importantly, is my son going to be saved here? You know? Right, right. And they went there together. I just, I just, the language here is, is very much so. We don't know how fast they went. We don't know any of those details. You can feel it, but we simply don't know. But ultimately, all of it's done with faith. I do find it interesting too here, Pastor, and I'm just going to say this now. I was going to wait till later, but I want to do it now is to put on Christ's goggles brings this together in a new light because you have the son, the only son, carrying wood up a mountain. Any thoughts on that? What connections can we make? 
do we believe that Moriah is where Jesus was crucified? When I've... Jesus carried the wood of his own cross up to Calvary? Do we, you know, the, the ram representing an innocent uh, sacrifice? Uh, even the thickets? I've heard some Bible commentators refer to the crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, typology-type wording here that points to the cross. Even your one and only son. Yeah. You know, isn't that what John 3.16 says, depending on which English translation you use? There's a lot of parallels here um, to, to our Messiah. And then just that language of whom you love, you know, this that goes back to the uh, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. It's not the same exact words, but you have that kind of the definite same language of here. When we hear this story, you're able to see Christ. You're able to see that God is preparing the people of old for the Messiah to come. And he just opens the floodgates of salvation for us to realize, wow, this whole Bible actually is all about Jesus, just like, Hale, you started us off in our study today, that we're able to see this in a beautiful way to understand that you just can't get away from Jesus no matter what part of Scripture you're reading. Pastor, anything else? You cannot do an end run around Christ. Um, <laughs> I'm amazed that, that people want to uh, make God generic. They want to, t- you know, we believe in a three-dimensional God, if I could borrow that language for a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is very specific. I find that when people want to make God more vague, they want to create him in their own image. But when you see how vivid our our Lord is, how Yahweh is here, it 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 makes what He promises more vivid. And I think well, Abraham learned. Look, I'm learning here that God doesn't break His promises. Maybe the other false gods. And the other religions, and I think for the land he came from, Ur. Uh, do you remember when we were at the seminary? There was the tombs of Ur. We're making the tour around the country, uh, yeah, you know. Right. And it, the the ultimate um, polytheistic system, which in my hypothesis, all the other polytheistic systems fell out of Ur. Okay, to the east, you can see remnants of it in the the, the Far East and Chinese polytheistic system. Certainly Hinduism. To the West, you know, for Egypt, Roman, you know, Greek, Roman, you know, and here is the one and only God, the one and only God uh, that's there. And so Abraham's learning, okay, all these other gods, uh, if they are real, and he probably rationalized, they're probably not, but they break their promises. This God here is proving to me he doesn't break his promise. Mm. That's one thing God can't do, lie to you and break his promise. In faith... In verse 8, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. And I just find that language so powerful. John, John, um, uh, it is John the Baptist who says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's almost like John the Baptist is thinking about this part of Scripture when he sees Jesus. Like, oh my goodness, there it is, the Lamb of God that we've been waiting for to take away the sins of the world. God has provided the final sacrifice for us. And so there... You don't think Moses thought about this when they had to take the blood of the Lamb, Uh, put it mm -hmm. on the doorpost? Right. Okay, Okay. sure. Okay, you know, 
they they had i mean moses knew of this event because he's the one we believe wrote this down by the inspiration of the holy spirit so what what we're seeing here and we're only 22 chapters into the bible okay is we're seeing that this really vague uh messianic prophecy in the garden of eden about enmity between you know the the uh, satan's offspring his minions and and eve the the mother of the human race you know, and that somebody in the future is going to crush your power. We see as Genesis goes on how Scripture interpreting Scripture makes those uh, prophecies more and more specific uh, as we head toward uh, the incarnation of our Lord and Savior. So let's continue as, well, for, we haven't got, you haven't got to the point where they're up there yet. So verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I'm going to stop there for the moment because this, <laughs> this really brings a lot of emotion. So whether, whether Isaac is older or younger, the emotions would have to be incredibly extreme at this point. Lays it all out. This is the moment. And now it's going to be that trust moment, right? Is this, am I going to have to go through with this? Am I not going to have to go through with this? What is God going to do? I'm doing exactly what he said, but yet I'm not so sure that this is where I want to be either. So, Pastor, what are your thoughts here, especially from a practical standpoint <laughs> for our oh, own lives? I would, I would love to know the conversation, because it is very edited here, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you, you don't know what happens. It just sounds like, oh, la di da di da Okay, here I am, Father. Tie me up and put me on the altar. I mean, uh, Abraham built the altar, and there laid the wood in order and bound Isaac. That's it. I mean, I mean, we don't know. How did he start that conversation? Well, son, uh, we're going to have to bound you. You're going to end up being the sacrifice. Or did he say to him, Look, I want. I, I understand you. You don't want to do this, but I think the Lord is testing us here. I think something good's going to come to it. Maybe He did what the verse in Hebrews said. Maybe He said to him, "Look, I. I think even if I kill you, the Lord's going to bring you back to life." I mean, wouldn't you love to know what mm. you know? Because it doesn't indicate here that that Isaac was going to be disobedient. It just sounds like it happened as as easily as getting the knife out and putting the wood on there, and it just sounded like it was as easy as that. But you know it's not, because you're talking a human being here. So I would love to know what dialogue occurred uh, between the two of them. And that's where, um, well, at the final resurrection, hopefully we will be able to talk to Abraham and Isaac and ask that kind of question. But right now, we're just going to leave or, it to the Lord. Or it won't matter anymore. It won't matter anymore, yeah. It won't even be on the mind anymore. Well, it could be either one of those, you know. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll just leave it to the Lord's hands right now. So right now, he's bound. The knife is ready. He's about to slaughter his son. Oh, boy. It's, every time I read this, I get a little bit shaky, to be honest, especially since I've had children. So verses, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. 
I You're almost, submitting to you. Yeah, right, right. Once again, and it's almost like you can hear a big breath of, oh, okay, all right, here am I. What, what's going on? What are you gonna, what's going to happen here? Almost like you can, you can hear that, that submission piece. Pastor, anything else in verse 11? No, other than that this is, uh, well, uh, and of course, the urgency of using Abraham's name twice. You know, God, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, this. have you ever seen The Hunger Games? Absolutely. At all, the movie? Absolutely. Okay, so the end, uh, spoiler alert for those that uh, haven't seen it. At the end of Hunger Games 1, where, you know, this mean, dictatorial guy gets these children together and, and, and in a, um, you know, in a, in a controlled environment, uh, gets them to all kill each other, and the final one is the victor in order to keep control over the society. Well, let's reverse this, okay, because God is not being vindictive here. All right, now, at the end of Hunger Games 1, Peta and Katniss, um, they they allowed two winners because of the romance and the love that these two had, and it was playing well because this was a nationally televised game, uh, and so the people were they saw hope in this relationship in in this awful uh, totalitarian society li- they lived in, and the gamekeeper and the dictator, President Snow, allowed it to happen because they knew if they didn't, they were going to have uh, you know, riot on their hand. And then at the last moment, the game changer says, oh, we changed our mind. Only one winner now. And so Katniss and uh, Peta uh, sit there and they're like, okay, here are the poison berries. We're both going to eat them. And he's like, no, no, we're all both, both going to die. Trust me, we're not both going to die. And then right at the last minute, you hear the games maker going, stop, stop. Right. We have two winners here, you know. And that's what I think of when I see that verse here, except here God is is not a dictator. God is there to say you passed the test. And I want to let you know that right now you have done everything that I have asked of you and now you're going to be rewarded for it. And that's a great connection for us to see a similarity, but the difference is that you don't have a dictator God who is doing all these political moves in the meantime, and all these people around him, I could talk Hunger Games all day, all the the people around him are going to be taken out of the equation because of the decisions that were made, but you have a loving and gracious God who's going to provide the sacrifice for them, not just a political move of saying, oh, I want to make sure that people are not all upset, but a loving move to say, I will provide this ram, and I will provide the final sacrifice one day for everybody. So God's not this politician, as it is in that, in that book, in the movies, but is one who does everything out of love and grace for his people. So great connection. Oh, boy. The comparison, though, is, is, is an excellent door to open it is. Uh, with somebody who doesn't quite understand God, because, because people who get that movie get it. But then we say, look, when, when our God, it, just like everything you said, he's not a dictator. He's a loving God. He puts us to the test so that we submit to him and realize that his way is the best way. Okay? So the connection is the test, but the, but the, the difference is that uh, this leads to salvation. That led to them winning a game and, you know, another three movies where things went south rather rather uh, violently, but here it didn't. Here, here the Lord blessed them because he loved them. He didn't give them what they wanted because if he didn't, then the society was going to turn on him. So a wonderful uh, example to, to turn the tide for us 
when we witness to other people how God is different than the ways of the world. Well, let's continue in the text because it's, uh, oh, oh here, here it is, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord. So, Pastor, give us a, a feel there. Who's, who's the angel of the Lord? What are your thoughts? The messenger of Yahweh. This is Christ before taking on flesh as Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when people say uh, Christ was... Ma- I actually don't like the term bef- uh, before Christ. I think that if we're going to designate time, it should be BBJ, before the birth of Jesus. Because mm-hmm. Christ has always been. Mm-hmm. i, I got to tell you, one of the toughest things to reiterate to people is Christ has always been. It's not like God existed in the Old Testament, then Christ came along 2,000 years ago, then somewhere on Pentecost Sunday, we threw in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we need to, to tell them right from the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there. You know, God the Father's mentioned in verse 1 of Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit's mentioned in verse 2, and when God spoke, what came out? The Word, mm-hmm. as John 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14 tell us that that Word became flesh to dwell among us. And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh, is just like the burning bush that will come, you know, later on. The angel of the Lord will be there. Uh, again, this is our messenger of Yahweh. This is Christ speaking uh, 2,000 years before uh, he became incarnate as one of, as the perfect version of you and me. Once again, he says, here am I. <laughs> so there's, like you said, there's that submission there's that understanding that this angel of the Lord is someone that he should submit to, that that God will provide, and here again, God is proving it. So verse 12, let's continue. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or anything to him, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Pastor, this is God provides. What are your thoughts? Well, the Lord did provide his son, um, 2,000 years later, he did provide for our salvation. And this is a setup to that. This is a, this is a reminder that God's plan played out uh, in the most vivid way through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I think it said Yahweh Yerik. Is that how you say it in Hebrew? Um, and this isn't the only time the Lord provided. You know, when we think of the Lord providing, I think we're first to think about our temporal needs. Um, or uh, when we are in church, of course, our eternal needs. But salvation is something we're living today. The Lord provides today. He provides his body and blood today. He provides the waters of holy baptism today to bring more into the kingdom. He provides his word today to sustain and strengthen our faith. And then what do we say in the first article of the Apostles' Creed? What does he provide? You know, our house and home spouse, children, uh, our reasoning, our skills were created in the image of God, granted fallen, restored in the perfect image of Christ. So this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the Lord demonstrating that he is providing. And I love the language that the Lord will provide. On the mount of the Lord, so this is the Lord's mountain, 
it shall be provided. Pastor, why is that important for us? Like you said, it's not just about temporal needs, even though that's true. It's about our other needs that God will provide. How would you encourage our listeners today as you read this story, this true story, why it's important for you, our listeners, to know that the Lord will provide? How would you How would you proclaim that to them today? Uh, I really encourage people in the act of reflection. Because a lot of times we're, we're people of the moment, and we have terrible memories. And I've had many, maybe you have too. I, I remember years ago I had a woman come in. I just don't think the Lord's listening to my prayer. And there was some situation that she was having with her husband. And and I sat there and I thought, you got to be kidding me. It, it was minor. I said, and I, and I reviewed over the past how the Lord brought her through a divorce earlier in her life, how the Lord helped her to grieve the loss of her second husband, how the Lord helped her through the struggles she had with her stepson, through somebody who squatted in her house, through, I mean, it was just one thing after another. Uh, and then when we finally got to what she was facing there, she's like, oh, I guess he has provided, all right? We need to review how God has provided in the here and now so that we are convinced that he will provide for whatever we're facing currently. And we pray that the Lord will continue to open our eyes to that. Now, a lot of times in the children's, uh, excuse me, in a children's book, it basically ends at verse 14. Now, that's not wrong. That's not something wrong with that. But usually that's kind of where the, the memory ends. But it does continue on with a promise that not only, oh, good, Abraham, uh, Isaac is still with us. Let's go home. Sarah's going to be happy. We're not going to lose our son. Let's just all we'll just be happy, clappy forever. No, verse 15, it continues with more promise from the Lord. Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So the, the promise is reaffirmed. What's the promise that we hear today? We hear the promise of a Savior. And that promise is as emphatic and purposeful as the promise made to Abraham uh, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. The language here, for anybody who has studied Hebrew for five minutes, uh, with the Hiphils, it's purpose-driven, and it's emphatic. And God wants to make things crystal clear. You know, it's amazing. You know, we tell people to let Scripture interpret Scripture. When when you keep seeing over and over and over uh, the same promises from God expressed in different ways, it reinforces what that God is here for you today to help you through your struggles. And so when I read this, the Holy Spirit speaks to me as emphatically as he spoke to Abraham and says, I will provide. I will, I will bless you when you are obedient. I, see, I think our society hates the word obedient. Mm. 
because it's an obligation. It's following rules. But when we obey in faith, we do it as an act of gratitude. And God will bless that act of gratitude for our lives so that we can see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the peace, the joy, the love that's there. But if we're forever looking at everything, every test that God puts in front of us is following rules, then we, we live a life of legalism. And when we live a life of legalism, at some point, um, the, the, our acts of obedience become a burden to us because we're repenting on the law, not repenting on the gospel, where the Lord wants to continue to provide and bless. And the, the, the promises are so many. Verse 17, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. So that one, the stars in heaven, there's, there's times where I kind of look and say, well, maybe I could count them. I, I'm not at all thinking I could. But recently I was at a, at a, a beach in Florida, and I did think about this because you have these white sandy beaches on the Gulf, and you're like, okay. His offspring will be as many as the sand on the seashore, and that, that's a lot of that's a lot of sand. <laughs> There's a lot there, and it it is this a reminder that his promises go so far beyond our comprehension. Not just in pure numbers, because that's not the point. It's that understanding of that his promises go well beyond our comprehension, and ultimately, as we see Christ lay over this story, that. His love is beyond the sand of the seashore. His, his forgiveness is beyond the sand on the seashore. All of that, it's incomprehensible to understand. Pastor, with about a minute left, as we look at this text, how would you uh, summarize it and also encourage our listeners in Christ? This reinforces the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm. Through this promise, we are given a Savior. And when we when God gives us faith to trust him, we can pass even greater tests than what Abraham passed on that famous mountain back on that, uh, on that famous day. Uh, that these promises are not just reserved for people in the Bible. They're for you and me today. And we need that assurance in this day and age where so much is uncertain. We need to know that even if our fallen nature tells us otherwise. We trust the Lord, even when every gut instinct tells us not to. Why? Because his word promises that he will provide and bless us. Maybe not the way we want to be blessed, but better. Because remember, God is working for his good, which is our good, his will for our lives. And the Lord will provide. Pastor Dan Eddy of Messiah Lutheran Church in Beloit, Wisconsin, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 22. Pastor Eddie, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Brady, thank you. Re Reverend Brady, thank you for having me on. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.